Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Right. Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're episode 64 of Dice and Rondells. Uh, and we have uh, not only Sen and myself, but uh, our third host this evening is Brian Lewis. Uh, how are you doing, Brian? I'm good. How are you tonight? I am excellent. We took... Last week off, and apologies to any of our audience members that missed the memo and showed up and tried to tune in. Uh, but uh, Sen was in Toronto, and I'm sure he's going to tell us a little bit about that because he was doing some playtesting. Sure. And yeah, and uh, I was actually celebrating my mom's birthday, uh, and so uh, she's moving to the Dominican in less than a month, so I need to make sure I, I hung out with my mom before she moves far away on me. So uh, so sorry again for last week, but we're really excited. We have a fantastic show tonight, and uh, why don't, before we get there, let's pick uh, Brian's brain first and see what have you been playing lately? Uh, tonight was game night, so tonight we played Dice City and uh, Felix the Cat in the Sack. Oh, right. I saw you posted pictures of that. What's that all about? Yeah. Uh, Felix the Cat in the Sack is a Friedman Frieza game. And it's a bidding slash um, kind of a bluffing game. What happens is all the players um, put one card down. You reveal one card at a time, and you're bidding. And if you pass, you take some you take money that's on a card, and then the next card becomes revealed. And whoever wins the bid takes all of the cards. So the cards are points. Right. So your your cards are points, and your money is points as well. So it's a combination of the two. So you have to be kind of strategic about how you bid. Uh, because uh, that's, those are also your points. So it's a fun little game. plays probably in about, uh, probably about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes, and uh, plays up to five players, and um, a lot of fun, uh, you know, fun little game. And then uh, Dice Town, you said you played? Dice City. Dice City, sorry. Yeah, the new one by uh, Artipia Games and AEG. Yeah, um, AEG has the North American, I believe. Right. Um, and that is... Uh, basically, every player has their own board. It's a uh, six by six grid. Uh, yeah, f- or, I'm sorry, six uh, six by five grid. And there's uh, five different colored dice. You roll them all. You place them on the grid. You know, a one through six spot for each color. And wherever it lands, that's the action you take. So the board has pre-printed already. Um, cards, and then you get goods and you buy new cards to put on your city. Right. So um, you're building up your city and, you know, making your engine more efficient to um, buy more uh, advanced city tiles. Uh, and you can also um, uh, ship goods uh, to get points that way. It's, all, it's just victory points. But it plays in about 45 minutes to an hour, up to four players. Okay. And that, that's a perfect game to talk about tonight, seeing as we're talking about <laughs> dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I I'm not sure what I thought yet. My initial play was I I I, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if it will stay in my rotation. Mm. Hmm. An important designation, you know, is yeah. that like sometimes when you when you put it back on the shelf, do you do you miss it? And then right. maybe it comes back. That's always an important test. 
Um, just so that everyone's aware, too, uh, Sen might uh, on occasion uh, disappear because of his voice, uh, just fighting something there. Uh, so uh, especially uh, just a, a heads up, if he disappears, he's hopefully not dying. Uh, he's maybe just getting himself a drink or something like that to uh, stay alive. And uh, for myself, uh, I've been playing uh, a, a variety of filler games, uh, anything from uh, Tides of Time, I've uh, been really enjoying that uh, lately, um, just got Bomb Squad Academy, so excited uh, to have that finally, because uh, that's uh, designed by a couple Toronto friends of ours, Daniel Roki and uh, Joshua Capel, and we got to play test that lot, so it's uh, really fun to now see that game out in the wild. Um, and yeah, um, just uh, trying to get ready for the Meeple Syrup Winter Camp coming up. So I want to give that a shout-out and a big thanks. We've received amazing response uh, from sponsors. So yeah, tell us about the sponsors, show. man. We want to know the sponsors. So the sponsors have been wonderful, and it's been a lovely surprise. And I think it's, you know, A, from the relationships we've been building from the show, but also I think it shows something about the gaming community in general. And that's that people even will contact me and say, how can I help? Which is uh, amazing. Which, uh, it's pretty funny because it's, it's a very small, private little event. Yeah, it's an invite only. We are going to offer uh, day passes, um, so m- maybe we'll get a good response from that. The last time we did that uh, I organized an event in the area that was open to the public, we did have a lot more people show up than we expected. We had pre-ordered, we had pre-sold seven tickets and we had 225 people show up. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know if we'll have that response again, but because uh, it's a little pricier, because we're doing things like, uh, uh, for the weekend people that are coming, their uh, accommodations and food are all included. So we're trying this new model out of kind of like, what if you all went to winter camp together and everything was taken care of, nice and cozy, uh, snuggled around the fire, have some meals, ha- play lots of games. Uh, we'll have uh, an area for uh, designing and playtesting prototypes, and we'll have an area for uh, family-friendly games, Haba. We actually have a room that will be designated to, like, Haba and kids games uh, and a lot of outdoor activities, weather pending. So uh, it's going to be a really great time. And the donations, we've had a lot of games donated to the library because they want to encourage this event to happen from year to year. A few publishers have even said, like, I want to be there next year because it could be a real nice, intimate way to see designs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, so they're already kind of investing ahead. And then uh, many also have sent duplicates and said make those, you know, play to wins or prizes. So we have a, a lot of games that we're going to be giving away uh, to a small crowd. So, you know, yeah, maybe it's, it's going to walk away with something. So. Yeah. It's, uh, it's inexpensive, too. At least, I mean, I think for, for, you know, for two nights and meals, I mean, I guess I have the U.S. you know exchange rate in my favor. But, yeah, sure. Um, sure. But today was, like to think today it's was the lowest affordable. it's been since 2004, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really low. So we're happy that uh, our uh, friends from the south are taking advantage of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really rare that they come this far north. So <laughs> nice yeah, and that's one of the other perks is we're really appreciative of actually being able to run something where people kind of come to us because we spent all year running around going to everywhere else. So, so it'll be nice to have something kind of in the northeast. Uh, but I don't want to I don't want to prolong any longer our guests because we have two all stars 
on the show who are uh, making games like no other. Maybe as much close to the Bamboozle Brothers. <laughs> uh, they're like maybe like Bamboozle Juniors. Uh, but uh, we have Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, and I just want to welcome back to the show. We're really glad you're here. Hey, it's great to be here. How you doing? It's good, good to have good. you. We're Excellent. we're excited because we're gonna dive in. We got an episode of all designers here. You know, we do a variety of shows. We sometimes have, um, you know, promoters or or publishers on, but now we have a five person discussion of just straight on de- design. So right, we, we haven't had this in a while. Dice, then rondelles, and then the combination of those. Because I know you, you two are doing some special stuff there. But before we get there, let's let's stick with dice first. Uh, what are some of the? And I'm gonna just throw this right off at Ben, right to start us off. But what are some of the benefits and cons to using dice in game design? Well, I think one of the Easiest benefits right away is obviously going to be the randomness. Um, you know, I you listen to uh, Ludology with Jeff Engelstein. You listen to them talk a lot about input randomness and output randomness, and um, dice let you do both. and And there's a lot of cleverness lately. It used to be growing up that um, dice was all output randomness. So you know, I'm going to attack Sen, and we're just going to roll dice and see if Please I don't. win or Please not. Don't. <laughs> You know, and that was what Australia. we grew up with. Down in Australia. Right, right. That's what we grew up with. We each put half our forces in uh, one half of Australia, and we rolled dice at each other and figure out who's going to win. And that was the output randomness, and that was really fun. And 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 there's even something to be said about that. You know, today, King of Tokyo, it's a fun to roll claws at each other. But I think what from a more of a um, hobby game perspective, what we've been seeing a lot of the last five years is that input randomness where you're going to roll dice and they're going to randomly generate a scenario, but then your players are going to get to handle that scenario and um, react to it, like uh, the Kingsburg Alien, Kingsburg Alien Frontiers type of thing where you're going to roll dice initially and they're going to set the stage for a player turn, and then you're going to have to be creative and clever on what you're doing with that randomness that's generated. So... Um, that space is, is kind of new and it's really exciting and it just gives players like a really fun puzzle to solve turn to turn and mm-hmm. uh, that's something me and Matt have been trying to get into a lot lately. Very cool. I think uh, Brian, you're next. Yeah. yeah um, so with um, I think one of the you know, I have to admit when I first started gaming I, I went heavy Euro and I hated dice games because it was so random, and I, I was like one of those, like, oh, everything I roll is either a one or a six, you know, or whatever die I needed, I never got. And so it, it was hard to mitigate that. And as I went along, I think that one of the games that actually kind of turned me around was Castles of Burgundy. Um, I just thought... I never felt like I couldn't do something. And even if I rolled a bad die, there was some way to mitigate that. So that kind of turned me around. And now I am, I really do get into the, I'm getting more into the dice um, and enjoying them for its randomness, as long as there's a way to mitigate that. So I think that's one of the main complaints that people have about dice games is 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 the randomness, but that's some things that people love about it as well. So I think you're on both sides, 
you know, you've, you're, you kind of got a, a split there between those types of gamers. You know, it's cool, Brian, you bring up Castles of Burgundy because as a game, it's not my favorite, but the um, dice mitigation that you mentioned is... Um, is beautiful, and right. we learn we learn that lesson from Castles of Burgundy specific, and the way I don't know if they're called workers in that game or whatever you get to move the dice one value up or down, right. one hip up or down, and that was just brilliant, and it changed the game for us, and we've kind of borrowed that quite often in our dice game sense. It's it's yeah. just a really nice way you can manage your risk, right? You can go in blind on one roll, or you mm -hmm. can go in knowing that if I need to, I can move that number up, you know, one or two. So yeah. it's really right. cool. Yeah, agreed. So, um, what about you, Matt? What uh, what do you what what are you, what uh, with your dice uh, games or with with well, what I guess the question is what ga what dice games is your favorite? <laughs> to cut my, it short. Yeah, my favorite dice game. Um, yeah. I'm kind of like you. Uh, it took me a long time to get used to the idea that dice were okay in a game. Right. I, I didn't like them at all. I didn't like the randomness. And then, like you said, you began to see this design shift towards, you know, what you're really doing is you're, you know, it's, it's a worker, for example, right? All those dice worker games. Like, I, even though I think the dice placement in Marco Polo is actually a small part of the game, you know, it, it's it's used very well, and that's one of the games I've really enjoyed lately that use dice in a, in a very specific way. I would, I would say my favorite, and only because I think it's super clever the way it's done, and it's not really a dice game, but it's a game that uses dice as a, you know, like an action selection mechanic, is Bora Bora. I mean, it's a very heavy game, but yeah. the reality of it is, right, you're rolling your pile of dice at the beginning of your turn, and then you're doing a very, you know, very fun, very tight action selection with those dice. And there's a really kind of, you know, the idea that, okay, if I put my low number here, well, that thing's closed now, but I get a, le I get a lesser action, and that sort of push and play between picking the one that you want, using the dice that you rolled, and then blocking for somebody else is a, is a really neat thing. So I like dice in that setting more so than, say, a truly dice-driven game. Um, you know, I, I played a few like Roll for the Galaxy, which is in Nations, and uh, Discoveries, which were all pretty good in their own way, which are much more dice-heavy, but I generally prefer the dice as kind of a flavor to an overall design as opposed to the primary driver. Mm -hmm. Let's look at uh, a game that is... Where the primary driver is dice, uh, like Las Vegas, so Rudiger Dorn's Las Vegas, where mm -hmm. it is, if you thought about it and you think about the game itself, if you've played it, it is exactly the opposite of what gambling should be, really. I mean, it's <laughs> you roll your dice and then you decide where to place things, mm -hmm. and based on the outcomes of how people place, then you get your payout. <clears throat> but it's such a much more satisfying game. <clears throat> as an actual game where you actually have a decision than rolling and just getting something because you rolled really well. Um, we often have the, the joke, the inside joke with uh, Jay and I is, oh, you know, to do better at that game, all we need to do is roll sixes more, right? And mm -hmm. so there's games that aren't like that. And I think that's where the idea of the input randomness versus output randomness really comes into play, that the more control you can have over the outcome of your dice, <clears throat> the better it is, even though the dice may be static and locked into position after you do your first action. And it's the, the then. Then what is the question, right? So how have you guys been addressing the use of dice in your own particular designs, Ben? Well, 
you know, to take a left turn, one thing we did, we've been talking about the Euro uh, output randomness and mitigating and strategy and all this. Well, we just came out with a game with Eagle Griffin this year called Floating Market. And uh, we we used the polyhedral nerd dice you're used to seeing in, like, role-playing games. That's a great one. We kind of win against we kind of win against everything we hold dear, and <laughs> <laughs> so we love these Bora Bora type games where you're like, okay, roll dice and then kind of deal with it and be clever and outthink the other person. Well, we like decided to table that and we made a complete output randomness like crazy roll game where you do exactly the thing we should all hate, where you like place workers and do all these things for like you know a couple minutes. And everybody puts a D12 or a D10 or a D6 in or whatever. And you could have up to, I don't know, 10 dice in the pool if by the time you add all the mods in. And then you just roll all the dice and add them up and go, hey, Daryl gets bananas because it rolled 27. Hey! And, um, but somehow it's really fun. It's yeah, like, it's I was just going to say, there's, there's a real fun factor there. I mean, that's like like a Stone Age even, right? Like there's yes. that element of you can do a little bit of the, the math, a little bit of the percentage, but then uh, there's still that, that factor of, oh, I rolled awesome, or I, I didn't, and, and that's exciting. Exactly, that's and the whole point of the game is it's not supposed to be super serious. Like you, you do your little strategy and try to mitigate it all, yeah. but if yeah. I'm playing with my 10-year-old, you know, yeah. He can still yeah. roll crazy and get the fruit and, oh, my gosh, hey, and everyone's having a good time. Like, you just have to play it in that spirit, and that's that was the purpose of the design. So when I see a review that someone didn't like it because it's too random, it's like, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> that was the point. <laughs> that's the point. Like, that was the entire point. We were trying to make Euro gambling, like, just, you know, we're always looking for that game where you're sitting at a, Con and people, a couple tables over, go whoa! Yeah, so, <laughs> some crazy rolled. <laughs> nice. All right, I, I got another question back uh, at you, Matt. I'm I'm noticing a bit of a trend, and it's been happening for a few years. But the uh, there there seems to be a, a game comes out, and then the dice version comes out. <laughs> uh, what do you, what do you think of that, and why do you think that trend's going to continue? Uh, tell tell me a little bit what you think about that. I do, um, for a couple reasons. You know, we, Ben and I joke around all the time about making fleet dice, and I we probably will make fleet dice, because why wouldn't you, right? I, I think it's a trend based solely on economics. I mean, it, there's certain games, like, for example, I'd like, you know, um, Nations, the dice game I played, but I've never played Nations, but I can't imagine there's anything in Nations, the dice game, that really ties that strongly back to Nations, because Nations is such a large game. But then I played Discoveries, which to me was a very small flavor of Lewis and Clark, but was a standalone game all by itself with a really good, you know, use of dice and there's a shared dice mechanic that's really clever where you kind of put, you know, you take dice of other people's, it's at risk, they can take it back at any time. So I think to answer the question, yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, I think there's marketing behind it. I think there's value in, you know, for the designers and the companies. I mean, if you have a successful game that's popular and can, um, you know, sort of support a spin-off, right? So first thing you're going to do is do a, you know, a, um, uh, expansion, and then if that's still successful, then hey, why not do a dice game? I mean, people like your theme, they like your setting, they like your thematic setting, then yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can come up with a good game for it, don't just call it whatever dice and make some crappy game, but sure, if you sure. do a good job on the design, do it. 
I think See, sometimes, oh, sorry, Daryl, I was just going to say, sometimes the dice game ends up surpassing and even outshining the base game, like mm-hmm. like Bang the Dice Game is one I can think of. Absolutely. That's a great example, yeah. Can't, can't uh, go back. Do, oh, do you, absolutely not, yeah. Yeah, do you think um, that the dice game, do you think they come out with the dice game because it is a perceived, whether warranted or not, perceived easier, more lightweight version of the heavier game? Um, you know, like Nations, Nations, the dice game, Lewis yeah. and Clark, then, you know, Discovery's Lewis and Clark, the dice game. Is it, whether it's warranted or not, do you think people perceive that as a lighter version of the heavier game they enjoy? I have a feeling there's something to that psychology, uh, just that, you know, people want to play something like Nations, oh, but we don't have two and a half hours to do it, let's grab Nations of Dice Game. I, I want that, you know, that 4X kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, any of the blank, the Dice Game versions. A lot of yeah. them are flavorfully or in the world of, and it kind of scratches that little itch for that little while. And, you know, that said, I mean, everybody loves rolling dice. Yeah. Pretty much everybody loves yeah. rolling dice. And you, you can actually even see it from the reverse, because I think, uh, for instance, My Village that's uh, coming out in North America. It's a dice version of The Village, um, and it's actually heavier than the original game, and a lot of people are thrown off by that. I saw a lot of people that kind of sat down and went, oh, wow, this game's going to take longer than right. Village. Like, I didn't, right. I didn't think that was coming. I think right. as a designer, too, you're comfortable in that setting, right? You know your mechanics. You know your, you know, what, how the game interacts. You've got... it's. it's Oh, oh no! Genius no, 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 no. thought. <laughs> well, we'll 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 wait for him to to reconnect. Um, oh, yeah, he's he's kind of just he's kind of like this. Oh, oh, oh. But uh, yeah, actually, I just got a question on online from Sir Bob who asks, "Is Belfort dice lighter than Belfort?" And the answer is, yeah, it's it's about a third of the time, maybe. It's about a 45 to hour game instead of a two and a half hour game. Okay. Um, but it can handle up to five players. It's much faster. And actually, it's funny because Matt's, Matt's here, which is great. Matt Loomis is on... Uh, and I have to thank Matt, actually, for the initial inspiration for Belfort Dice, even though he probably doesn't know this. Is I was playing his game with uh, one of the games that he designed with Isaac Shalev, and it uh, inspired us to think, well... What about liar's dice, and how can how could that be something that we use in in Belfort dice? Because uh, we've been thinking about Belfort dice for years, and <clears throat> it just kind of triggered it. Like, hey, let's do it this way, and it eventually, you know, migrated way away from well, kind of way away from the whole liar's dice mechanic that uh, Matt and Isaac were using for something else. But uh, in the end, yeah, it's a lot of it is because people keep asking us to make a Belfort the dice game because they like the world. Yeah. Uh, and so we're kind of coming up with a similar sort of... It's not necessarily area control, but it's majorities, it's building in, it fits in with the storyline, you know, it's after the Yeti's attack and all that kind of stuff, so it, it fits. Uh, let's, let's try to go back. Uh, Matt, you, you seem steady now on the, on the feed. What were, you, what, what were you saying before you uh, chopped up on us? No, I, I just think that... As a designer, frankly, it's a little bit easier to design a dice game of your own game because you're comfortable with the world and you're comfortable with the mechanics and you're comfortable with the way the primary drivers of your games interact. So then you take dice, and like Ben said earlier, you, know, you just input 
you do this output and you decide, okay, how are we going to, you know, make this version of our game that we've already that we already know so well. Not to say that it's that it's easier to design, but I think there is a little bit of a less barrier of entry. So from the perspective of a designer, hey, why wouldn't you do it? It's going to be fun. We love Fleet, for example. Again, use that as an example. You know, Sen and Jay love Belfort. Why wouldn't we go back to that world and design a game around it? Exactly. Um, so, you know, we are talking about dice and how, you know, the randomness and how to mitigate that randomness. Let's kind of switch gears and go to rondelles, which, by their nature, don't have any randomness. There are some games that have a little bit of random rondelle. Finca comes to mind. But, you know, for the most part, you've got this circle there with pre-programmed actions. And um, how do you use that successfully in a game? I'm going to ask uh, Ben. Um, you know, can you think of a game that you think really successfully uses a rondelle? And, and you know, what do you like about the rondelle mechanic? Well, I'll tell you my favorite rondelle ever is actually in a game that's only okay because the second half of the game I don't like that much is the Stronghold game Milestones. Um, I've never played it. It's Stefan Dora, one of my favorite all-time designers. Yeah, I think I sure. played Milestones at your house. Then. It's Stefan Dora on a co-designer. The genius is everyone has their own personal rondel. Mm-hmm. Their own personal rondel, and it changes. So you're, That you're sounds build. like a Depeche Mode song. <laughs> personal <laughs> rondel? Yeah, your own personal <laughs> rondel. So it's it's just beautiful. You have these actions, gathering resources, etc., that you place in a circle, basically, and you change them, and it's really slick how you have to interchange them, and they're constantly um, in flux. You can't just have the same rondel the whole game. So it's always changing. You have to manage that, and it's super brilliant, and as your little person goes around the rondel and whatever, it's very satisfying until you take all those resources you gain and go off to the board, which is actually very boring. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the second... Uh, well, you know, hey... So the, sec the second half of the game isn't terribly isn't terribly good, but I love that like changing personal rondel um, that they came up with. Yeah. It's always inspired me. Um, yeah, I think uh, like for me, um, the I guess you know if he deserves a title of master of the rondel is Matt Gertz. Um, oh yeah, Matt Gertz. Know, he, I got to hang out with him at Essen. I have some wow. stories for the after. Well, show you were just name dropping, are we? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know it. <laughs> Well, you know, when I was hanging with my buddy Dave at game night. Um, <laughs> so, no, uh, he he's he's. He, I have yet to play a game of him his that I that I didn't like. Um, but you know, he, that's what he's known for, and he's good at it. So if you're good at it, why not do it? But um, the have, have you guys played Finca? Yeah, I love Finca. Mm -hmm. Finca's yeah, an awesome Finca. game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's a game that's that I like that whole mechanic of um, of 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 having that variable rondel, you know. So um, that's think, a game. I think but, Brian, what you're saying about the Matt Gertz games that I find so fascinating, like in Navigador and stuff, is mm -hmm. it's a really nice way to provide different actions for the player, but to limit the frequency they can take the action. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So as you trek around the thing, you know you're going to get to do this certain action a certain amount of times, but I have to do you know, X, Y, or Z before I get to the point where I can slam this other action again. So it, it makes right. me spread out and do different things, and it's a really clever way of you know, making players do that. Right, and then as you, as you space out, you know, some actions have multiple points 
in your rondelle or whatever as your rondelle grows or things like that, then right you know that action is, is less powerful, but you might need to do it more. And so you can actually balance. It's almost like a hand balance of a cards. Um, it's funny. Somebody actually said, and this is, this is a really neat way of looking at it. Uh, let me just see who said it because uh, it should be attributed. Oh, it was Sir Bob. Sir Bob said that Monopoly is a rondelle. And it really kind of is, right? The roll and move around the board, and every time you hit something, you do something. It's just that it's a that's all the game is, is going around this rondelle, versus rondelles as we know them, where you go around the rondelle and affect a greater board. Um, so how are you guys using rondelles? I know that last time we talked, um, like at S no, at uh, Gen Con, we had talked about dice dells and ron. Dicey or whatever the, I can't remember. The Roldell. The Roldell. The Roldell. So that's so, a brand of tomatoes here in yeah. the U.S. <laughs> that, why don't you tell us about the? Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. So the Roldell actually uh, very appropriate to the show is combining dice and a rondelle. So the the idea basically is we've used it in a couple different spots, but I think the one that's you know probably the most imminent is a game called Alcazar that's coming out with Dice at Me Games next year, and what we use the dice for is almost to set up like a little puzzle each turn. So you're going to roll in, that, in, that, in the game, in the case of that game, four of your own dice, and you use those dice to move around the rondelle. And then when you land on whatever spot you land on the rondelle, you pick a second dice to activate that location. And each of the locations around the rondelle is actually, in the case of Alcazar, kind of its own little Euro puzzle. You know, and there's different things you can do, you can collect resources, and that game actually has an inner ring and an outer ring, it's like a double rondelle, so that you can use one guy to collect resources, the other guy kind of spends them at the different spots around the rondelle. So we call it a roll dell, you know, uh -huh. and uh, it's it, it's super fun, because like you've said, the, the, roll, the rondelle provides you with this limited action selection, so you cannot get to every spot, every you, you know you got to do a little bit of work to get back around to where you want to get to. So you have to make these choices along the way. Like, okay, if I move a little bit farther but take a less efficient action or an action I don't want as, as much so I can get to the action I really want quicker, or do I take an, an immediate action in the meantime and take an extra turn to get back to where I want to get to? So that just that mechanic of the, you know, the inherent mechanic of the rondelle works very well. And then what, again, Ben and I's kind of twist on it is adding the upfront dice to sort of add this kind of puzzle feel to it. And it works really well, honestly, because you get this... You know you've got a pair of actions. You're going to do two things on this turn. You have to use two dice each action. So which two spots am I going to go to? Which dice am I going to move with? Which dice am I going to activate with? And it's you know allowed us to really kind of use that same mechanic in different ways and actually a few different designs that we've got kind of in different spots of development. So that's that kind of our awesome. twist on it. It's it's a yeah, lot. That of sounds fun. really cool. I I think there's I think there's a few people playing around with hybrid rondelles. One I've got to at least play test with. Uh, with, uh, um, why am I drawing a blank? Tasty Minstrel. Jaffe. Jaffe, thank you, Seth. He's got, uh, he's got his uh, game with um, Templars. That's a yes. right, custom yes. rondelle. Yeah, just so that's did a, that, that, a sorry, really, no. yeah, no, it's a really nice, unique uh, rondelle system where you're actually mm -hmm. upgrading the slots, and uh, so then over time, each person's rondelle is, it's almost like a deck builder. Mm -hmm. um, but of a rondelle. So, I mean, we're seeing these different kind of combinations of uh, using mechanics and layering them. Um, I'm curious, Ben, are you have you seen other examples of rondelle combos or or kind of unique uses of rondelles? Um, 
I think you just mentioned the one I was thinking of. Um, did Bottle Cap Vikings just do that too with the changing rondel? Oh, I haven't the played changing that. Was that what that one was too, Matt? Yeah, it's, it's got a. I don't know that. It, I think it changes the beginning of the game. I'm not sure it changes during the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might be thinking the one you just mentioned that Seth is working on with the right. the rondel. You kind of uh, evolve over the course of the game. That's a super interesting. Um, yeah, it's basically you idea. you flip the sections of the rondel. So there's like a, a a more powerful side if you invest in it. Hey, what do you guys think about um, using? Uh, a set number of movements on the rondel versus a random number of movements. What do you think? Is there is there better play? Is there with... some rules that you yeah. think people? I, I generally to? I generally prefer if if you're not going to do it, you know not completely randomly, but I like a range. Like I just played Queen's Architect, which is almost really good, but I, I can't place why I didn't love it. Like I I was enjoying everything I was doing, but at the end it didn't wasn't satisfying, so. I ended up really mixed on it, but it does a thing where you basically get one to three, right? So you know that, okay, it's going to take me at least three turns to get into a full circle if I do three every time. But again, the reality of it is I don't necessarily want the third action around each time. So I, I, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to think of, is Navigator a fixed? Is it? Is yeah, it's fixed. Yeah. You, yeah, it's fixed. Can't you pay to go past your two, your two or whatever it is? It's been a long time since I played yeah, Navigator. Yeah, there, there, there might be a mitigated, like a cost to reach yeah. further than you naturally want. So you, there's that built-in kind of like punishment. Right. I, so I, I, I like a range because it gives me choices. I like choices. For sure. Uh, ben, what do you think of like examples like uh, uh, Trajan where they kind of use a Mancala? Is, that, is a Mancala a Rondell or another example might be like Glenmore? Do you see like how Glenmore is a Rondell because it's like these limited choices going around? Uh, what are well, your thoughts on those? I'm gonna say no on Glenmore. I mean, you're talking one of my favorite, my one of my other favorite designers, and um, yeah, Crackwagon that uses the same. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna say no because you don't come back to the same action again. It's always changing in Glenmore. If I oh, jump right, ahead right. to Loch Ness or Loch Oiki or whatever, yep. When I get back around the circle, it's gonna be completely different. So sure. I'm gonna go no on that one. Trajan, you could abstract talk me into. Maybe almost being a rondel. It's just that you're not one space in time necessarily. Um, but there is that puzzle about I'm here, I have cubes here, and I want to get over here for this action. And you know, Trajan's one of Matt and I's favorite games of all time, both of us. And it's always inspired us in that method of you. You know, on the back end, you don't want to kind of ruin it like milestones. But as long as on the back end you have decent, um, satisfying Euro stuff going on. If you give players that initial puzzle, it's almost fascinating. Like, I want to do these like things I'm familiar with, but in my way is this amazing puzzle, and that's what Feld is super good at, especially if you look at Trajan. And that's what we were trying to do when we talked about the roll Dell. We were talking about like, here, roll four dice. In between four dice, you have to make two pairs where you're going to move with the die and activate with the die. And by the way, we're also going to give you two different people to choose to move and that's like we're just giving you this little puzzle that hopefully is very satisfying to then go like go do things you're very familiar with um so yeah totally so um matt um i don't one of my favorite designers uva rosenberg um i think you can say he kind of redesigned the rondel in a different way where it was for resource management um if you've played um have you played glass road I have. 
So what did you think about that? What did you think about that use of the rondel in limiting what you can do based on the number of resources you have? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I guess I didn't think of Glassroda's rondel simply because you... I kind of see where you're going, and it's very interesting the way he does the, the push and the pull of, like, the brick and the clay, right? right? So you work very hard to move the resources that you want off the front end of your sort of time, you know, like, look like the hands of a clock, right? And that allows you to then open up more brick and clay. Mm -hmm. So I don't think of that as a rondel, though, simply because it's... I'm not necessarily using that circle to select what I want to do as much as I am activating the board full of actions to then pull resources off. So right. it, it's interesting. I mean, it's, a, it's a fantastic game. Um, I Would love managing the wheel. Right. Do you think that's like... Do you think that might be like a variation of the rondelle, or do you it, not... Cons I, I'm just curious what your thought on no, that. No, I do. I actually don't think it is, only because okay. I think really what it is is a way to do resource conversion in a different way. So okay. what he basically did is he took what could have been a chart, a spreadsheet, anything, and then right. kind of put it on that wheel so that as you begin to spend certain resources, it creates other resources. Gotcha. So, and you're not really doing that circle, really. You're just sort of opening up spaces to create the back-end resources that you need to score points and build better buildings. I mean, it's a fantastic game. Whatever that thing is, is completely unique. <laughs> <laughs> that, unique that unique kind of thing that already exists already. That non-Rondell thing. Exactly. Right. Um, right. Ben, what are your thoughts on having individual rondelles per player versus having a big group one that everybody goes around? Pros and well, cons. I love I love the individual rondelle, and I guess the pro in that is it. I think it gives players the feeling that they've built their system, and maybe replayability would be higher because uh, if I'm building this personal rondelle for myself and if it's a, a little modular even, I can attack the game many different ways. I could try a stone-heavy um, strategy one game and try a wood-heavy you know, or a balanced strategy the next game. And if it's a shared, shared rondelle, it's going to be a little harder for me to specialize and customize and try um, a lot of different paths to victory. So if you're going to play the game a lot, then I think it would really benefit from that personal uh, even customizable one, but um, uh, it might be harder to affect the competition, though, too. So the con would be that um, when everyone's kind of in their own little personal space, you just have the propensity to not pay attention to everybody else as much versus when there's one focused shared area. Even if I can't block you, I'm still more inclined to like pay attention to the common area and maybe be more aware of what you're doing and maybe deny you some contracts you're trying to fulfill or something like that versus if I'm just in my own little rondel I might just it might just be multiplayer solitaire would, would maybe be a con of the personal Yeah, I, I was stuck on mute there. I I was thinking about that. That was nice. Uh, so I I want to hear more about this roll Dell. Uh, you you got my brain also exploding with the possibilities. What are some of the ways that you two are kind of dabbling with this uh, mechanical hybrid? You know, where where are you going with it? So I think it it started with Alcazar, like we talked about, where you're basically using four of your own. Well two versions of it, where you use four of your own dice and you use that in pairs to kind of do that puzzle of move and then activate. We've also taken it um, in a much lighter level in sort of a um, game where basically each player, you roll four dice at the beginning, like Ben mentioned earlier, input randomness, and then you go in a circle each selecting that dice and you move around a circle to collect 
different cards for you know different cards to make sets and things like that. Those are probably the two that we're working on the heaviest. Um, well, we also have the other one, Matt, where um, you uh, still do two actions in a round, but every player only rolls two dice, and the game rolls a die. So that die we colored red just to set it apart. So in a round, the, the game, the board will roll a die, and if it comes up six, then and I roll my two dice, and I get like a five and a one, then my two actions are going to use that board die, which rolled six, and then my five, and the board die six, and my one. So I have to plan my two actions around using that board die, um, you know, both times. That's kind of a different take on a, on on the Roldell that we're working with another publisher. We haven't announced or signed with them yet, but it's it's um, looking like maybe next year we're going to be working on it a lot more. And then we took it one more time, um, heavier a game uh, we haven't finished yet, but we have actually started color coding the dice. <laughs> Um, so you do that whole puzzle we've been talking about, and um, I take my four dice and I break them into sets of two, so I move with one and activate with the other, but now it matters the color of the die you activate with, <laughs> so like if I move if I move six with a die around here and then activate with a four, if it's a blue four, it does something versus if it's like the green four, and that's kind of like... Right. And I, that one actually nice. is cool because... That has a group roll, so the start player rolls the four colored dice, and yep. you all use those dice. You just take turns, like you don't actually move them, so they're they're available to everybody, and your actions are based on those dice. So yeah, I may yeah, use yeah. my blue dice to move, and the red dice to activate, and Ben may use the red dice to move, and the black dice to activate. So it sure. kind of makes this. It takes away that sort of you know, oh well, you rolled all. Grant Oliver, we're smart. We're not going to make six. Sure, sure. No, it's kind of like the, the the cube tower that that uh, Feld. Uses for the, yeah, be fair? Like, yeah, it gives everybody it gives everybody what their what their ability what their inputs are this round, and then right. you can all use them in your own way. Yeah. Sure. So Ben, um, you know we're 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 coming up on the close of the show here, and so we want to uh, ask you um, what advice do you have for new designers that are designing with dice? You know what are the challenges that you've seen? What is a trap? That they might fall into, um, and what you know, just in general, what advice do you have when designing with dice? Well, I think you know, dice are so awesome. Everybody loves rolling dice. I think the first question you have to ask as a designer is, what experience do you want to create for your players? Do you want a heavier game or do you want a lighter game? Because that's going to drive you toward what we were talking about, the input randomness or the output randomness. If you want a lighter kind of hey crazy game, then you lean a little more towards the output randomness. I'm going to do these things and then roll dice and see what happens. And then if you want a, a more thinky game, then you got to go a little more you know, swayed towards the input randomness where you kind of roll dice to set the stage and then let players figure out what they're going to do with that. So um, mm -hmm. figure out the weight of your game, I would say, that you're going for up front and then kind of go from there. So, with you, so with, on that note, uh, this is a kind of a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Which comes first for you when designing with dice, theme or mechanic? Uh, lately, um, last I'd say, we've you know, the last couple of years we've been doing a lot better job of setting our stage early um, with theme and with playtime in mind that's kind of been the things we've been starting with lately is you know one of us will come up with a pretty cool theme and uh, yeah we're kind of feeling you know the weight of the theme this should be like a 50 minute you know type of game so um, a theme and a playtime and then maybe some mechanics follow shortly after that can support that awesome 
Excellent. <clears throat> so, uh, Matt, let's talk about rondelles then. What advice would you give to a novice designer who, you know, likes Matt, Gert, Matt Gert's games or games that have rondelles in them and wants to design their own? What's the piece of advice that you would tell them? Make it different. I mean, Matt Gertz has done, I think, five Rondell games. Feld's done two or three. So it's out there. And that doesn't mean you can't do it, but make sure there's something, you know, if you put an action circle up on the corner of the board, we move around it in a circle, nothing else is happening that's different, well, then I'm not really sure why, you know, unless there's a lot. So unless there's something really neat going on over here, then I feel like you should, you know, take it, put your own spin on it. You know, take a look at it, figure out how to make it clever and unique, and then make it stand out, you know, so that people, when people play that game, they can see, oh, that's really neat. He did this new thing with that rondelle. Like, we've, you know, we've been talking about with Ben and I with the dice, and Seth Jaffe was sort of the changing, where you kind of establish your rondelle, and then milestones, again, like Ben said, great game, where you sort of set your own personal rondelle, below average on the back end, but still. So that's just do something different, do something new, do something neat. So it stands out and is interesting for all of us guys to play a million games every year. We want to find something new and cool. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent stuff. All right. Well, uh, I just want to, again, thank Ben and Matt. I don't know if they'll be sticking around for the after show, but we do want to invite everyone. Uh, please check out the after show. Uh, we'll uh, sometimes leak the link uh, right away, but uh, you can always find it. Well, it actually automatically Friday. leaks now because I think it's tied to our Twitter. Oh, haha, even better. So uh, you can find the link. Uh, it is posted. The idea uh, was to spread out the content, so feel free uh, to check out the after show and see where the conversation may go. I want to uh, say a special thanks and recommend people check out uh, both Matt uh, and Ben's games. Uh, they are exploding all over the place. We didn't even we talked a little bit about floating markets, but we didn't talk about Morocco, uh, which is out there. What else is brand new? Warfside, Warfside and Floating Market are the ones that are currently Fleet Warfside. It's a fleet yes. spinoff. It's a little bit lighter of a card game, but still got really good decisions. And Floating Market out there now. Morocco will be out probably late spring, you know, maybe Origins Gen Con time. It's for sale. It kickstarted, and then um, those. Are the, and we got Back to the Future coming out in March. Yeah, well, it's so. definitely. Well. Uh, if you guys are part of the after show, well, we might have to go off track and uh, talk about that a little bit. But yeah, I can uh, hang it up for a bit. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, so uh, stay tuned for that. And I also want to give a shout out for next week's episode. We have a really great episode. Uh, we have uh, Richard Ham confirmed to come on, and we have Efka from No Pun Included. And we might also have, fingers crossed, uh, Rodney uh, is getting back to me and Eric Martin. We're going to talk about. Uh, what kind of best designed games of the year. Kind of a review of what they saw from all of their different perspectives. Uh, so stay tuned for that. If you have questions or if you have games that you think were the best designed games, uh, let us know on Twitter and we can make a case, or you can make a case, for why that game should win. So uh, we'll, we'll have a big discussion about that on next week's episode. But uh, meanwhile, we just want to encourage you to keep making great games, and we look forward to playing your games soon. Have a good night.